Hello, everybody, and welcome to Wednesday night's Narrative Live. It's good to be with you here with Eric Garland. How are you, Eric? I'm in a forward lock position. Let's go. <laughs> it is one of those nights. I got to say, there's an expression in television I was telling you before we got on the air called crashing a show, which is when you put a show together in the, like, the last five minutes of your time before the show because something's changed dramatically. That's what's happened to us tonight. We've had to crash the show. So anything could happen, but it will be fun. Um, let's talk a little bit about why we crashed the show tonight. It's because we were planning to do a very special show. We were going to do something that's out of the ordinary for us. We we're going to talk to someone who was involved in the January the 6th insurrection, the coup attempt, call it what you will, and someone who had inside knowledge about what was going on that day. And that person was Joe Flynn, who is Mike Flynn's brother. And yes, it's kind of shocking to think that we'd put him on the air, but you know, we think he has answers to questions that we have for that day. But just in the last few hours, we've come across another story from Mother Jones, which really puts the whole Flynn operation in a completely different light. It really presents them as a menace to society and someone who's, at least, at least according to this article and this audio tape, which we'll play you, indicates that a member of Flynn's personal security detail on January the 5th and the 6th was actually threatening one of the witnesses for uh, the January 6th commission as early as or as late as last month. So this woman Ooh. has been working with the commission and who knows who else, providing information about what happened on that day. She used to work with Flynn and they are threatening her on this tape in a very overt way. I'm going to play you the tape in a bit, but it's pretty stunning. And under those circumstances, we absolutely cannot put Joe Flynn on the air, you know, certainly not before we allow the person involved in this matter, Stacey Burke, to have her say about what happened, because we really need to understand how we got to a situation where a former general, his associates from his personal security detail, are threatening a witness to these uh, January the 6th commission, which is really the story we're talking about here tonight. It's quite stunning. And uh, not just a retired general, but the brother of the head of the Pacific Command, who's also a lieutenant general. So also implicated in the January the 6th investigation in many ways, which we'll talk about tonight as well. Yeah. So, you know, this has not been the finest hour for the Flynn brothers or family, for sure. This is last, the last few years has been not their best showing, but, you know, this might be the low points that they've had over the last couple of years. This is really something else to think that they, uh, I'm not saying that they did this. We don't know that they did this, but one of their members of their personal security detail, someone who's part of the First Amendment Praetorians, we, we've covered them a lot on the show, that person, one of the founders of the 1AP, he is the person who's caught on this tape saying very, very threatening things, in my opinion, to Stacey Burke. Um, Eric, it's a tough day for, for democracy, that's for sure, but it's also a tough day for the Flins. I mean, there, it seems to me, in some hot water over this, this is not just something you can brush off. I mean, if this is, in fact, bears out to be something that they're involved in. Well, uh, there's not much those boys do that looks too good. I mean, I'm not trying to just be cutesy. It's hard to, I mean, you know, Mike Flynn was at the inauguration on the days in 2017, immediately texting about giving next generation American nuclear technology to the bone saw mafia, the Saudis, mm -hmm. you know, and he was already on the payroll of, uh, was it uh, Turkey? Turkey, NSO Turkey, group, yeah. Uh, yeah. And in list. Russia, I mean, he got to get like $45,000 for going to meet Vladimir Putin and making a speech yeah. at one time. I mean, you know, these guys have colorful clients to say the least. Uh, it's not like they're, they're choosing from the best democracies and, and fine examples of the Western world. A reminder that heads of intelligence agencies have to register like every conversation with a foreign national over like 30 seconds 
with their security officers after they retire, uh, they, they're not allowed to be on the payroll of other governments. So anyways, the, 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 we've been on Flynn a long time there. And now yeah, more flings keep popping out and none of them are very nice. So look, we, this is a very important character in this whole story, because let's be honest here. He had dinner with Vladimir Putin. I don't know too many people who had dinner with Vladimir Putin. And even if it was a five minute dinner or whatever it was, he flew to Moscow for $45,000 to have dinner with Vladimir Putin, main propaganda network of the Russian state. I mean, that's not a look that anyone would say is a good look but you know in his case particularly bad considering what had landed up happening to him when he became the national security advisor for donald trump yeah potentially uh you know well not potentially lying to the fbi and admitting to lying to the fbi for not revealing his conversations with the russian ambassador so another russian angle right there you know so this is it's unfathomable that these people are still walking around you know the okay. question of why are these guys allowed to walk around is present on one's mind yeah yeah Let's take a look at what we have tonight, because we are going to talk a lot about Michael Flynn, and we're also going to talk about Chris Miller as we continue to talk about our uh, command and control investigation. This is our investigation, which basically is asking the question on everyone's mind, which is, is Donald Trump and his inner circle really in command and control of the January the 6th insurrection and attempted coup? And we've come at this in a million different ways, and each way we come at it, it just looks to me like, yes, Donald Trump was very much in command and control, and certainly Mike Flynn and Roger Stone and Alex Jones and uh, Sidney Powell and all, you know, uh, and maybe even Ginny Thomas, as we've been discovering, were all somehow involved. And, and in, some in, in people that. sitting at the Pentagon. Yeah. So we're going to get into that tonight. We're going to figure out, you know, what was that delay? Why was there such a delay for the National Guard to be sent in by the Pentagon? This was a decision made by the Pentagon to wait for an extraordinary amount of time. And why was that happening? It, so let's begin by listening to some of this tape. Here's the story from Mother Jones. This is the headline here, far-right paramilitary member warned a 1-6 committee witness against speaking out. And the, you know, you, you listen to it, it's one thing, but when you actually read the transcript, it's a completely other thing. I'm going to just quickly pull up this tape, which just came out of our transcript machine. Uh, we have a machine that pulls out transcripts. I'm not going to tell you for sure that these are accurate uh, transcriptions, but at least it'll give you a sense of what was said. I've listened to the tape and I don't want to uh, prejudice the audience, but it's basically like, hey, uh, you're talking about our totally legal and totally cool Jansik insurrection thing. And you keep like recording stuff and it'd be a shame if you like died. Yeah. <laughs> and um, the target is saying, oh, geez, what do you mean by that? It was recording it again. So it's like yeah, it's, the it's, operational it's, security on these guys is not great. Like if you're calling somebody to threaten them because they're recording things, I mean, don't you think they'd record that to <laughs> share with them? Because I don't know, there's a whole lot of these people have lost <laughs> their damn coconuts is what's happened. It's like you can't just roll around and threaten to kill everybody that you disagree with. No, you and there's a whole lot of these octogenarians these guys that can't do 50 sit-ups who they wanted a revolution where you know they could die uh gloriously or they only the other guys would die it's it's not clear what they wanted but they're just very quick to talk about violence and doing violence to other citizens and whatnot i actually know some people uh you know who uh, do combat um who hurt feelings for a living and you know they're not so quick to talk about violence because they've seen it yeah they know how to do it they treat it with respect the implication from this tape, it really is. I mean, I try to figure out, you know, are they meaning something else? Are they, are they trying to say something else to her? It's pretty obvious what they're talking to her about. I mean, they're talking to her about 
her dying if she continues to cooperate, continues to talk out, continues to be public about what happened on January the 6th. Now, this also dovetails, remember, we've had the uh, former senator, senatorial candidate, and his name will come to me in a second, on a show here from Pennsylvania. He also felt like the Flynn family was involved in, in targeting officials in those states to make them comply with their requests to to do an audit of their elections. So that's another factor right there that, you know, it's a second time we've seen or heard of the people associated with the Flynn's, let's say, being threatening or bullying, or in this case, giving a death threat. So this is a very long piece of tape. I'm going to cut it into little bits if I can, but let's listen to, on the one side is Michael Kenny. He's a First Amendment Praetorian member. If I'm not mistaken, he's one of the founding members. And then Stacey Burke is the woman who is the witness, and uh, this is the conversation they had. Life is really good. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing all right. Staying busy. Were you doing that trucker I'm have to hear that again. Thing? Sorry about that. No, you know why? That party's over. I, you know, I, I, I just don't understand what these guys are whining about. They're, This is the trucker convoy where they drove around the Beltway like everybody else in protest. You didn't get one by now. You ain't getting one, so uh, it don't make a bit of sense to me. Yeah. Well, I kind of thought the same thing, but Flynn Flynn and the America Project were funding it. So. Uh, Yeah, I got no idea. Yeah, they were offering like gift cards, and you know it was like public. It was on their website. Like it was, they weren't hiding it or being all secretive or anything. They were very public about it. Yeah, uh, I'll be honest with you, I don't really have time these days to sit around and look at all that kind of happy shit, you know. <laughs> Well, I figured you're out on the road and stuff. You have more time to. I don't know. I guess you're. I guess you're not. That's what I was gonna say. I guess you're not exactly looking at stuff like that while you're driving. Yeah. I can see. You know, if these guys were protesting the open border, you know. That kind of stuff. I can see their gripe. I can understand it. But I think at this point, they're showing up, what, you know, for the party, and the party's already over. <laughs> That's kind of true. I was thinking that, too. I mean, it was like, if you were going to protest mandates, like, wouldn't that have been, like, a year and a half ago? Like... <laughs> I mean, that's the only the only protest I've ever attended in my entire life, literally ever, ever at all, was right after COVID, and it was on the shutdown. You know, and it was literally two weeks in because I was like, "This is not going to be two weeks to flatten the curve." <laughs> yeah, uh, they met. That was they, they misspoke. They didn't bullshit us. They just misspoke. They meant two and a half years. <laughs> I know. That's... <laughs> Everybody... Two and a half years will flatten the curve, and six months after that, you know, right before the State of the Union, why, we'll go ahead and uh, 
magically make it disappear. Well, as soon as I saw, like, I called my friends. Like, I did that protest because I called my friends who worked at the hospitals, and literally they were sitting around. There was nobody coming in to the hospital. Like, literally. Like, they were sitting around with boatloads of food that people brought for them because they thought they were so overworked and... You know what I mean, whatever. So people were bringing cookies and pizzas and food trays and... You know what I mean? <laughs> and they're yeah, sitting there... Like with, that, you're making me hungry. And they were, they were sitting there with no patience and all this food that people were bringing. And I was going, something's seriously wrong with this picture. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. And um, and so, yeah, so I, I went to my first ever rally, you know, because that's when they were making tents in the parking lots of hospitals, acting like there was going to be some, you know, they were going to be triaging people in parking lots of the hospitals. And then I called my friends who were doctors and nurses, and they're just like, yeah, we're sitting around the ER. With, it's dead. Like, nobody's even coming in for a stroke or a heart attack. Yeah, plenty of that going on now that... You know, everybody's got backs. <laughs> well, you know, what what happened, and this was part of why I did the protest, what happened, and, and I could see this happening then, people were dying of strokes and heart attacks. They were going from home to the morgue um, because nobody wanted to go to the hospital and get COVID. And that's part of why I did the protest, because it was like, you guys are killing people, you know, because you're making everybody think. Well, the back, the back shot's killing people, too. Do, do you know that the death rate of people between the age of 18 and 34 increased 40% in the last year? Oh, really? Yeah, because the heart problems that the vax is causing for the young well, men? Yeah, heart problems, other organs, all kinds of whatever. But it's all, you can bet your ass that's all because of that bullshit vax that they had made back in 2014, that nine months, you know? They already had that shit. They didn't come up with that in nine months or whatever it was there. They already had that. It was sitting there on the shelf waiting. You know? Yeah, all they, had, yeah all, they had, all they had to do was spin up the manufacturing. It was already there. It was. If anybody thinks otherwise, well, go on ahead. Fool yourself. Well, then, then Trump would have been in on it. I don't know who's, who's in on it. I'm just telling you. I'm just no saying. damn way in the world that they spun that up that fast. That's all bullshit. I'm saying, though, they've been, if they've, that, been, they've been researching that shit since 2014. But I'm saying, like, Trump took credit for all that. So if that was true, then he was... Well, I guess it depends if you knew it or not. It really gets to the point some way soon. You'll hear the real threats coming out.
long, uncomfortable silence. Mm -hmm. Anyways, anyway. that. Steak, by the way, that's the sound you're hearing in the background. January 6th, guys, it's uh, committed suicide the other day. No, what happened? Well, I guess he got caught up with the crowd, you know. Got ushered inside the Capitol building, you know, by the Capitol Police, who were right there in the doors, ushering everybody in. And, you know, he walked around like everybody else did and then left the building. Didn't do any damage, didn't you know, do anything other than go inside the building where he shouldn't have been. You know, of course, at that point, there was nothing going, there was no uh, session going on because they were already hiding with AOC in the lavatory of another building. Scared to death, thinking somebody was going to kill him, you know, ordering lunch. I did a whole lot of hiding around thinking somebody was going to kill me. <laughs> well, just order lunch. That seems to be the remedy for that. Fast, fancy, she'll tell you. They went down to wherever and then ordered lunch. <laughs> I'm saying. <laughs> We're scared to death. These people are going to kill us. They're right outside the door. Somebody call uh, Domino's. <laughs> I wasn't calling Domino's. No, but you remember how scared I was the whole time. Yes. I would say you were concerned at the very least. Uh, <laughs> I, don't you, I don't know how scared you were. What? Oh my god, I was terrified. Are you sure you didn't look it? Really? Yes. You're cool as a cucumber. Are you you're probably like if I was disassociated. I was terrified, Mike. Like how can you not think that? Especially with everybody saying I was going to be killed. Say that again. Especially with everybody constantly saying I was going to be killed. You just never know. Well, it ain't over. It ain't over till it's over, right? Uh, wow. No, but I'm saying back. Well, yeah, I'm saying back then. Well, I'm saying now and in the future. You think I'm still going to get killed? Well, I don't know. Don't you think that if I was going to get killed, I would have been killed by now? No, sometimes it's inconvenient. You know, it just depends on what you do, you know, and what you don't do. What do you mean? Well, if you think you're a threat... Or if I don't, that'd be the difference. Right now, everybody knows ain't nothing gonna happen. 
because I knew that way back then. You were telling me I, I could get killed back then. You could. Because you always record what everybody says and you put shit out there. Follow people around and take pictures. And, and, I wasn't and, and doing that back then. You talk, you talk a lot publicly, and that's what makes you a target. I talk a lot publicly, but I wasn't. I wasn't recording anybody until after the election. So that didn't make sense. I didn't. I wasn't recording until all that stuff started. Well, I'm just saying, you know what you did. You know what you didn't do. You just got to put yourself in the other guy's shoes. But wh- which guy? Yeah, exactly. No, seriously, like which guy? Seriously, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> which one? Because you know there was a number of people you ruffled their feathers. If you put anybody in jeopardy of prison time or, you know, might hurt them financially or whatever, people get you know, people don't think clearly. You just think about the easy way. So do you think that, um, you think that that Coke, like that it was the... Why would Will you think Wilson or Coke were were a part of that? What do you think? I don't know. I mean, I guess like I don't understand how Wilson would go to jail, Wilson or Coke, unless they had actually participated in the election fraud. Well you would think that anybody that did anything with election fraud would go to jail, but they're not. Nobody has any notice. One or two people that did, you know, they, they were, what do you call, useful idiots. They got jammed up. But nobody had any consequence, and everybody knows what happened. Who was the useful? There were 600 people that went to jail with January 6th. January 6th, they got nothing to do with it. I'm talking about that people. I'm talking about the election for us. Oh, yeah. Well, aren't they all kind of, wasn't it all tied together? It was. It was the most coordinated effort I ever saw. So, but... Who was the real... But, but none of them people are in jail, right? So why would Coke or anybody else go to jail? Nobody's going to well, jail. Well, that's what Coke... Nothing's going to happen. It's too late. Yeah. That's what Wilson said. Like, nobody's going to jail over any of this. In fact, he was threatening that I would go to jail. Like, he would, he knew all the law enforcement in the whole state, and he could trump up false charges on me. Oh. Which one thing is weird, I found out that he's he actually has a history of doing that. He actually did that to someone. Um, it ended up getting exposed like that. Per- he put a buddy police officer up to um, getting somebody arrested on false charges that was a, a enemy of his. 
and uh and then he shot another guy during an officer-involved shooting, which he told me a totally different story about the shooting than what I recently read, which was kind of interesting. He made it sound like he sniper shot the guy who had showed up for workplace violence towards his ex-wife, and he was protecting all the people at the workplace. And then when you read the actual story of what happened, he, he had allegedly had a patrol car driving around the guy's street for a week in advance didn't like him because he was a, a, supposedly some sovereign citizen group and then he showed up on a call where the guy's ex-wife or wife had called about paperwork it wasn't even a domestic violence call she, he was taking paperwork that he wasn't supposed to from the business and he showed up and they had a power struggle type scuffle and then he shot and killed him. But he had already been stalking the guy, which was kind of bizarre. Well, you know, imagine if that guy has some friends that, that didn't sit well with him. If what guy had some friends? I'm not understanding. Yes, that would be horrible. Well, what I'm saying, well, this is kind of an analogy. The same thing applies to you as it does to that guy. What? Never mind. Forget it. It's over your head. <laughs> it's not, apparently it is over my Never head. Never mind. Just let it go by. I don't mean nothing. Oh, like, like, like I tick somebody off so his friends come after him? Tick somebody off enough. Just give us some thought. Let your imagination run away with yourself. I'm sure you can figure it out. You're not stupid. You don't need me to fill any gaps for you. You know exactly what I'm telling you. But, so, so in other words, he gets his friends to come after me? friends just automatically come after me. Never mind, forget about it. You know what? It's just this is this a conversation I'm not gonna have. I I I I, I genuinely was I guess not understanding. Seriously, you're not stupid, so I, I don't like playing that kind of game. I gotta go. I'll talk to you after, okay? Okay. Boy. Boy does he have to go because 
That's an interesting conversation. I mean, that was like 20 minutes of uh, interrogation, I would say, more than a conversation. Well, it might have started out as a conversation, yeah. but of course, uh, you know, my background is, as we've discussed before, is a human intelligence collection and some are as I got a t-shirt that says human. We just ask the guy. Yeah. And there's certain techniques that professionals use in conversations, you know, and called elicitation on how to get somebody to say something that they might not otherwise say. The pros are so good at it. You know, it's so pleasant. You won't even remember it's happened. And these things are, are subtle and take years and all that. However, there's another group of people that end up doing kind of a version of this. Like, let's say you were involved in something that was kind of criminal and you have some criminal exposure and you agree to cooperate with the government, for example. Mm -hmm. I've heard certain conversations where there are people who get sort of a very quick and dirty set of lessons on, you know, how to try to get somebody to say something when there's a device recording. Right. To my ear, that sounded what is sometimes referred to as dial-a-crook. You know, once you're cooperating with a government entity, you know, you might get some immunity around something you might done or might not have done, or maybe you're just being, you know, you're just being helpful. Uh, and you have a conversation, you kind of want to get as much specific language on a recording as possible, certain keywords. To my ear, you know, she was trying to draw. What do you mean? Well, who was that? Well, was Trump in on that? Yeah. And it kind of sounds like he's not nearly as sharp as he thinks he is, this uh, Praetorian. Yeah, this is the First Amendment Praetorian. That's him in the, in the front of this picture here, this with a tan cap. And, you know, he's there protecting Mike Flynn. And behind Mike Flynn, you can actually see Joe Flynn. And they are, you know, that's personal security detail on January the 6th Ooh. or maybe the 5th. Maybe it was another event leading up to that. But, you know, that was one of his big jobs was hanging around with, with Mr. Flynn. In addition to being a founding member of the First Amendment Praetorians, which were a version of the Oath Keepers and Proud Boys, but much more sophisticated in their operation, you know, they're more the Marine types or you know, special operation forces types that they, that well, the hold on, oh, hold on. Yeah. Okay. What does that mean? Because look, again, if you know people that actually have done this in the armed forces, these things are very specific. Like when there's nothing Marine like no, special operations forces, not. I would say special operations forces is what sure. they claim to be from. They claim to get their membership from those. And they were assigned to do more specific things like protect people like Mike Flynn on a regular basis. And some of them were also the Oath Keepers, but some of them were not. The Oath Keepers was sort of a mishmash of every, you know, anyone who is a former military person <sighs> or current military person. But uh, the 1AP was more of a an intelligence operation that was being run um, and a protection operation, also a protection racket probably, as it sounds like. If that, for, hold on, um, hold on, Mr. Zeb, Flynn. hold yeah. on. Yeah. Hold on. If that dude on that call was intel, no. If he was in the service, he was doing laundry. He was in the motor pool. That, that's not an Intel guy. He would have yeah. gone, goodbye, click. <laughs> like, because it's pretty to, obvious I'm by sorry, the end. I'm sorry, I got a flat. I got to go. Yeah. Because you're very clearly trying to get him. Well, geez, I don't know. Who do you think stole the money from the bank, Mike or Jerry? I mean, I can't remember. Does Mike ever talk about things like that? I mean, like you hear some of the junior elicitation stuff. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I got, I'm sorry, I'm getting a text from my, my dog at the vet. It's an yeah. emergency. Bye. Click. And because you, you go, oh, okay, she's fishing. Yeah. That's she, a real Intel person would, would, have, would have ended that conversation much. A hundred percent. I mean, clearly she's fishing, and, but he figures it out, but way too late. I mean, after he delivers the threat, I think twice or three times, you know. <laughs> 
You know, it's like specifically saying, it, imagine that were you, you know, that kind of language is, is incredibly specific. I mean, you know. Felonious. Yeah. Delivering a threat of violence over interstate communications is a felony under Title 18 in the United States. It's that we just witnessed a crime yeah. right on the show. That's and a crime. And the First Amendment Praetorians are a very uh, serious group. I mean, I remember we did a show on them a few months ago, and uh, we titled it The Next Big Threat, because if anyone was going to start some naughty stuff in terms of violence related to any sort of uprising or anything like that on the right, it would be these guys. I mean, they're sort of, they're, they're lots of Afghanistan uh, veterans, some of which are a little bit, you know, tainted by the war. I, I don't know in what way specifically, but they certainly look like they've been damaged by the war in much the same way that I think you could say Mike Flynn was. I mean, you know, clearly he, the Afghanistan war had a huge impact on him. And he was, of course, the head of intelligence in Afghanistan. Yeah, I mean, well, there's definitely uh, veterans that have been co-opted and, you know, 20 years in Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, was a heavy burden on a whole lot of people. There's a whole lot of PTSD. There's, a, you know, the opportunity to be radicalized because of, you know, what a rough experience it was. Yeah. I certainly don't want to make light of any of that. I know people that have been through that. I know people that have uh, been recovering from PTSD from that service. And that's, you know, estimable. Also, not an excuse to go around threatening insurrections and threatening to murder citizens. Yeah. I should also mention a little bit more about Stacey Burke. She was uh, one of the people that Sidney Powell had used to write one of her affidavits. Remember that Sidney Powell was going around asking people for affidavits to declare the elections uh, fraudulent in different parts of the, the country. Okay. So she was one of the people who had signed up for that. That's how she knew she got into the circle of people around around Flynn and Sidney Powell and, and company, and how she got an understanding of what was going on in there. Obviously, at some point, she decided this is too much for me, and she was placed under the protection of the First Amendment Praetorians, which meant basically they were keeping her hostage. I don't know if it was protection or what it was, but they wouldn't, you know. That's not protection, that's kidnapping. Yeah, they would let her move, but they would move with her, uh, which is unusual. And they claimed that she was under threat of some sort of uh, life threat. It turns out that that tape we played last week with Justin Sullivan or two weeks ago, Remember the Roger Stone associate and he's sure. talking about the plan oh, to kill people and to shoot me in the rear end. Yeah. Yeah. I remember. The curfew. Well, she's actually the person I believe recording that tape with a first amendment Praetorian guy next to her. And that's the voices oh, you dear. hear on the other side of the tape. So, oh, um, yeah. So that, that we kind of know is going to be a very important piece of investigation for the DOJ. I mean, they found this evidence interesting. So they found that previous evidence interesting. They're probably going to find this interesting. I would think. Yeah. You'd think so. I mean, which is why, you know, you sort so, of like you get, you get it to the point where it's like, oh, White Flynn's in trouble. There's also the other day you pointed out. After a while. Yeah. <laughs> so it has taken a while. But the Oath Keepers story that came out the other day, you know, they dropped these Stuart Rhodes. Uh, which is the head of the Oath Keepers, that uh, these text messages that the Oath Keepers had sent out, this was in relation to their seditious conspiracy investigation. I mean, they're actually investigating a seditious conspiracy here, and they're releasing these selected texts. And in many of them, there are mentions of Mike Flynn and not really mentions of anybody else, which I found really striking. You pointed this out the other day, but it is unusual that Mike Flynn is the name that appears sort of unredacted when others are redacted. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's interesting. The, the prosecutors weren't that worried about pe people figuring out who it was. 
Yeah, in there they talk about how they're going to be protecting Mike Flynn for that day and the fifth and the sixth and how he, he was part of the leadership. You know, it's a couple of interesting pages. I actually can't read them myself at this point because the screen I'm looking at is too small. Okay, I can do a dramatic reading. Do you want okay. this like Royal Shakespeare Company or just straight I'll take whatever, you know, whatever uh, Rhode Island accent you can come up with. <laughs> oh, I was, I was kind of hoping that Joe Flynn was going to be on there. So, all right, fine. Okay, guys, I'll attempt to set up a call with everyone tonight. In my opinion, sir, let's keep this leadership only. You know, we need five to ten on a call, not fifty. Everyone's everyone's going to get over that real quick. Yeah. Uh, just that I can have a team there for the fifth, but if it's back up to the backup security detail, they aren't too excited. Tell me, we go Flynn, and we are moving him. You'll have the baddest ass crew you've ever seen. There's a yes. bug difference in detail, though. What is exactly big? Told Flynn has a team already. The baddest ass security you've ever seen. Well, this um, is the thing. Is that, is this team that they're talking about actually <laughs> Michael Kenny over here? You know, is that the team that he has in place already? Because he was with uh, Michael Flynn a lot. So is that I wouldn't uh, bet Flynn's... on those guys that were surrounding Flynn. I would bet against them in a paintball match. Well, I'm so, have yeah. you? Okay. Oh, yeah. It, it hurts. It hurts just thinking about this stuff because uh, I mean, how did they think that anything was going to happen here that would even begin to look like a, an overthrowing of the election results? It was just impossible to believe that that's what's going on. Can I riff a little on, on like yeah. what actual special operations military yeah. guys are like? The lean, mean, they deliver trash at night. Yes. Special delivery. They, you're talking about, and there's a lot of resources put into them. And it, these are guys that can go six days without sleep and do vector calculus when they get there, you know, and shoot someone at a hundred yards. They do not look like they would get winded after, you know, Frisbee golf. Yeah. And these, there's just all these paunchy dudes that it's like, they just, they watched Top Gun like the rest of us did in 87 and just looked awesome and you know they saw the volleyball scene and everyone's cut and they're shooting things and they're just you know they're just the best of the best and then those days passed by and we didn't finish the cold war that way and or whatever and like this was their big moment and they were going to get to shoot some people maybe and then they would win and it would be like they're a big victory at the end and instead it's a bunch of fat old men who want to just shoot people and have a fantasy and they were being manipulated by foreign powers and our local oligarchs who don't want to pay taxes and that's basically all this shit is about mm -hmm. they didn't want to pay taxes so they didn't want democracy anymore and there's all this pseudo military fantasy around this when it's like look guys the only reason January 6th was not just a splash of pink spray is they did not call out the Marines from 8th and I, there wasn't a single Apache AH-86 helicopter that came over the ridge and convinced you all to go home in the most definitive way. That could have taken 14 seconds. And just this whole fantasy has been proliferated throughout the Facebooks, the Reddits, the Donald, the Jabbers, the Gits, the Getters, all these digital things where they've targeted these people. They know these data brokers out there, they know how old these guys are. They know who's divorced, who has had declared bankruptcy. They have psychologically profiled these people and they are, a lot of them are vulnerable and they're given a sense of meaning here of like, they're going to go out in a blaze of glory. Yep. And instead they're going out in a blaze of felony and a blaze mm. of treason and the people doing the manipulating, I want them hung high. 
Well, those are the people also making a lot of money. I mean, let's face it, Michael Flynn and his family have made a lot of money of all this stuff, you know, whether it's their fundraising or their legal defense funds or their road shows that they've done or, you know, this other thing, they've got these digital soldiers trademarked. It's a name that they've trademarked. And every time you, someone uses that, they make a piece of money out of it. There's just a lot of money being made by people, but it's not the people on the ground who are out there, you know, doing the actual insurrection. It's these other people that are getting all the yeah. money and who knows where that's flowing to. Well, that's the, you get these guys, you, they get targeted because they're vulnerable in different ways. Maybe their career flamed out. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, they were head of an intelligence agency and they got fired because they were kind of nuts at work a lot mm -hmm. or whatever. And then you give them a cottage industry and look, I've seen Mike Flynn's Farrah filings. He got cut, you know, checks for four and a grand here, 75 mm -hmm. grand there. That's not who's making money off this. It's coal companies, petroleum companies that were going to keep going, family offices and their finances that, you know, wanted to keep their offshore bank accounts a lot of, from a lot of companies with, uh, with uh, operations in China. In fact, a lot of them is one of the things that I took away when I did the analysis was, hmm, oh, yeah. how come all of these big companies that are supporting all of this have these big operations in China could make a lot of money off that too. Uh -huh. I, know we, I just want to mention just briefly, people might not know the Michael Flynn story. Here's a very brief Michael Flynn story for you. So in 2012, Obama appointed Flynn the director of national intelligence. In 2013, he attends a gala hosted by Bijan Kian. He becomes a closer to Russian contacts. That's in 2013. Who is Bijan Kian, Eric? Bijan uh, Armenian, or uh, Turkish Iranian. That was his partner in the foreign agency yeah. uh, case yeah. at the Eastern District of Virginia. Yes, correct. So we have the weirdest bar of trivia here <laughs> on too. narrative. So then in 2014, Obama fires Flynn after reports that he was acting suspiciously, whatever that may mean, and making racist comments at work. Same year, Flynn sets up this Intel group with Keon. And then by 2015, 16, he becomes a key figure in the Trump campaign. And then in 2017, becomes the national security advisor who was then fired by Trump like two weeks afterwards, or he had to resign, whatever the story was, because he was considered a threat to national security. And so he went away because then there was a lawsuit against him, a real actual criminal suit for lying to the FBI, uh, which he pled guilty to. Mm -hmm. And then somehow miraculously got a new lawyer in Sidney Powell and miraculously because of Bill Barr, had the entire case dropped. He then uh, took back his guilty plea and soon later was given a, uh, a pardon by Donald Trump. And the very next day after getting a pardon from Donald Trump, he was out there selling the story of an insurrection. So it, uh, you know, cause effect, maybe, could be. Can I go back two more years in Flynn's history though? Yeah, absolutely. It's to a paper. The, from uh, Center for New American Security, it's called Fixing Intel, A Blueprint for Making Intelligence Relevant in Afghanistan. And the authors were ma then Major General Michael T. Flynn, uh, Cap Matt Pottinger, U.S. Marine Corps, and Paul D. Batchelor, Defense Intelligence Agency. And I just want to read a couple paragraphs. This is actual intelligence and actual military stuff. And this was Mike Flynn 12 years ago. And I remember when this paper came out and it had some effect on folks. Uh, among the initiatives Major General Flynn directs, select teams of analysts will be empowered to move between field elements, much like journalists, to visit collectors of information at the grassroots level and carry that information back with them to the regional command level. These items will integrate information collected by civil affairs officers, PRTs, atmospherics teams, Afghan liaison officers, female engagement teams, willing non-governmental organizations and developmental organizations, PSYOPs teams, human terrain teams, infantry battalions, to name a few. 
some of what he, uh, you know, I could read the whole thing. The, you know, that's the nuts and bolts of thinking about um, reconnaissance and intelligence in an operational context of a battle space. That's the real stuff. Yeah. And, you know, he was part of that. So, you know, I just, I just want to draw the bright line between that and the paintball pants. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, I, I do Intel. So I call people up and I tell them, hey, it'd be a shame if you fell over and, you know, hurt your head because I know a guy who killed a guy and maybe that would happen to you. That's not intelligence. Intelligence. No, no, that a, guy may not know, be. A, a much yeah, more sophisticated discipline. And Flynn started intelligence in 1982. He was like climbing a, it was in, in the Grenada conflict, I believe, with like a backpack full of electronic equipment on if I remember his story correctly, climbing a cliff to point signals intelligence equipment at Cuba from Grenada, if I have that story correct. Wow. And, you know, he was sort of went up the chain from there. And, yeah. you know, I, you know, I want to so know like, what happened between that, you know? Yeah, I don't what know what happened, happened between that and, and 2021. One thing that happened is he started musing around this idea of let's start a intelligence op that could, you know, gets sort of the entire population. I don't remember the exact terms here, but they're, you know, clearly in 2017 and then again in 2019, he and his team, now many of them left Afghanistan, were working on something to, you know, mass produce some sort of uh, psyop, I guess, against the American people. And many people say, I mean, I'm not one to say that directly because I don't think we know that, but that he, uh, here's the actual quote from the Intercept, as far as back as the fall of 2017, Flynn and his surrogates began probing the possibility of deploying a viral online information operation that would tap into the minds of millions of social media users. And there they did a graph of the digital soldiers trademarked with the name and how it uh, appears on social media and how it interconnects on social media. And in fact, there are many people involved in the QAnon conspiracy that come out of the Flynn world. In fact, he's well known even though they're disputing this, the family's actually suing CNN for this. But right there in the picture on the left, they're taking the QAnon oath. Uh, you know, I've, the video's out there. Some people can still see it. But absolutely, they were taking the oath of for QAnon, which is kind of crazy. This is a former U.S. general. You know, it's just... It's, that's a, it's, well, that's it's a, a current strike. U.S. general. Yeah, and a current. Well, oh, you mean, oh, you mean on the T-shirt, not yeah, on the right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if... The, yeah, yeah, I don't think that's Charles there. I did one, at one point think it was Charles, but it's not. But, you know... They're clearly in favor of QAnon or supporting QAnon, even though they later just said it was junk. They did this uh, digital soldiers thing, you know, I think a very, much more sophisticated effort, which was probably quite successful in gaslighting America during the 2016 election and beyond. And, you know, it includes people, you know, you'll be very familiar with some of these people because we've all had to experience them in the Cassandra Fairbanks on the one side, there's Jim Hoft. And then these are a dinner that they had at the Phyllis. I can never remember. Yeah, that's in, that's outside of St. Louis. Yeah, I, I remember where that dinner was. Yeah, the, her Eagles thing, which uh, yep. Joe over there, Joe Flynn has a big role in. You know, you'll also see Mike Cernovich over there, and then the page before that was Mrs. and Jack Prozobiak. So you know, these people are professional gaslighters. They're professional conspiracy operators. The, okay, so in that in the paragraph that I read from the actual paper on security and evolving intelligence, there was a reference to psychological operations. That's a thing on all sides. That's controlling narrative, controlling morale. The Russians do it. The Chinese do it. We do it. The French do it. It is a part of modern uh, warfare. 
Yeah. And getting somebody to give up before they show up is a concept that's, you know, Sun Tzu talks about in the art mm-hmm. of war. So there's always going to be subterfuge and trying to scare a population so it's not as resistant. That's 3000 year old warfare. What I find so compelling about these two things and you go, well, these guys are gaslighters. Mike Flynn took an oath to this country mm-hmm. and he served in these roles you know, we're far from home. And like what's going on in Ukraine right now is Ukraine's reforging its identity. And no doubt some Western governments are trying to help shape the iconography, the imagery, so that, you know, Ukraine has a stronger national identity. That's us meddling, by the way, you know, that's in our net. This is realpolitik. Yeah, this we is do that. in our national interest. France and it's an internet, you know, in its interest and Russia doing the other thing in the other direction. That's just how the big boys play the game. And the people who are in psychological operations at the Pentagon who have access to classified, you know, information and techniques and how people are trained and all that, they take this oath and that is supposed to be just used for, you know, national interest. And yeah. you don't just go running off with your buddies and decide you're going to take what you learned when you were trained by the US government and the Department of Defense at our taxpayers' expense. And when we assumed that you would be chill because you took this oath, and especially if you're promoted up the ranks, you know, we don't expect that you're gonna run out and do that on someone else's behalf. And uh, well, there's nothing wrong with PSYOPs in the sense that that is modern uh, warfare. It's a reality. Part of it. It's a reality. This is how the game is played, and- as you pointed out. <laughs> It can be done positively. I think there's plenty of psyops going on in Ukraine from the NATO side. Mm-hmm. And I think we're like, because look, Ukraine is a country that was, you know, three quarters owned by mobsters to be generous mm-hmm. and very, very corrupt elements and a people that would like to be free. But mm-hmm. that's, you know, very American point of view that these people deserve democracy. And I'm trying to remember one of the guests we had recently who's like, they already said they wanted this in the revolution of dignity. So there's people that are in the American sense yearning to breathe free. You know, we can use a version of psychological operations and support to help them solidify that belief in themselves and pulling together a nation, you know, which is something that in a lot of cases had to be done sort of inorganically. The notion of Italy as a single country is very new, Um, right? You had to create an Italian identity. Same in Spain. You know, you can use these techniques to build up democracy to build up countries and people, or you can use them to tear people apart, to get them to tear each other apart. And what's happened is you have people, and it's very disturbing, the people that took these oaths and learned these techniques and were entrusted with much, who are like, yeah, let's get Americans to rip each other's throats out. Yeah, absolutely. You know, this is basically, it looks to me, I mean, there's no definitive answer to this, that, you know, was uh, Mike Flynn the guy who did QAnon, we don't really know that for sure, but it, you know, he has a lot of associates from his intelligence groups that were involved in QAnon, and we know that he was interested in that whole world in 2017, and we know that he launched this digital soldiers thing in 2016. You know, it certainly feels like there's indications that that's one of the things he was doing, and that speaking of his skill level, that would be something more of his skill level than this operation to threaten the witness from January 6th, which looked a little lame. But, you know, something like QAnon would have been something that he could have concocted with his supporters, perhaps in other foreign countries, because he certainly was a foreign agent. 
Well, the provenance of QAnon, it's hard telling. I think if you look at a lot of the themes there, it was attempting to reach a, um, a certain objective. It's crazy sounding, but very coherent. Mm -hmm. And again, if you have people that are looking for meaning and you give them meaning and identity and a purpose something to do and, yeah. and you make them feel like they are the center of the story i mean these guys on january 6th when they're they're going in you know it's like they're one of history's great actors you know this is our moment as opposed to we're running into an office building yeah so people can't put letters in a box to signify what wyoming voted this well year. look it was very significant what they did i mean you know if it had happened if it it succeeded who knows what the constitution would look like today? Who knows where, you know, how much like Hungary would be looking like? Who knows? It's hard to tell. I mean, it's certainly telling that you know, back in 2015 or whenever it was, there is Michael Flynn sitting next to Vladimir Putin, you know, which he claims was only just for a few minutes. But boy, that was a photo yeah. op engineered by the Russians that was well worth the money. They paid $45,000 to get Flynn over there. And how important is it to get that shot for them to have their very... President? very important yeah to go we got your general because when you've been the head of an intelligence agency one of the reasons they keep such tight track of you is because your noggin your head is an asset mm -hmm. to our nation and to others because you know stuff ain't nobody else supposed to know and yeah. if you're uh playing footsie that close with the guys that bad that yeah, that's, that's all that's they needed deal. was that photo. I mean, at the end of the day, this is the photo that Putin wanted. So even if it was just five minutes, it was five minutes to take that one photo that he needed to have and then basically telegraph to America that he's got one of their men. And this is December 10th, 2015, just before the Trump campaign started getting going, um, you know. Very telling, very telling indeed. I mean, it was the Trump campaign was already rolling hard. And right, but I think yeah. I remember this period of time because I remember people going through my community going, Did you hear, uh, you know, who's on his campaign? Like, who? Mike Flynn from DIA is like, right. What? Mike Flynn? What, my, he, what's he doing back? <laughs> you know, and I was like, Oh, no, not just that. He's been in Russia. So don't forget yeah, that he was, was deal, also man. the deputy head of the transition uh, with Mike Pence. This guy was picking every single cabinet post and a whole oh. bunch of other things. You know, that's a very significant role to have. And, you know, I don't yeah. think Mike Pence was paying as much attention as, uh, as he was. Well, that's the show. We better get off. Thanks for uh, rolling with all the changes as, as we had. And thanks to you at home for watching. You can always support Narrative at patreon.com forward slash narrative. We really do appreciate your support. It's the only way we can afford to do these shows. And uh, that's the show for tonight. We'll see you again on Friday night for the after show and look forward to being with you then. Have a good night, everybody. Good night, Eric. Narrative is made possible by viewers like you. Join today and support truly independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative. That's patreon.com forward slash narrative.